How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Speed for it, cheer for uh, kind of like it. On the right wing side, here is Defoe. Shoots, he scores! Battling through it, finally. No sense bitching, right? This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All right, we are back again, surprisingly to me. It's weird to do this regularly again. I have to get back in the flow of things. I feel like I overprepared a little bit this week, but it's fine. We're here. We're ready to go to talk about more hockey, even though the Kings are off. I just had to, like, write it in my planner to, like, remind myself, like, oh, yeah, this is a thing we do. We're doing this now. It's happening all the time. Um, But, yeah, so while the Kings are off doesn't mean that things haven't been happening. And, of course, they played some games um, that we didn't get to talk about yet, so we'll talk about those. But I guess start with the most recent thing, which is the Kings have waived Devin Setaguchi. He cleared waivers, so now he is going down to the AHL with Ontario. And they kind of have a glut of people that they, veteran players, that they've been passing back to the AHL. So it's been an interesting time for the Kings in terms of the balance there because they're not simultaneously also calling up a bunch of players. So interesting things happening there. Yeah, that there's this sort of just like veteran soup happening in the AHL. And I don't know, Sadaguchi has been fine. You know, it's one of those things where nothing has been so blatant um, to warrant me being like, get him off the team now. So I mean, I wasn't surprised when he was uh, waived, but um, it just it, it made me take into account all of the other players on the team. And once yeah. again, looking at our good friend, Andy Andrioff, <laughs> who has two assists, and that's it. As compared to Devin Setaguchi's four goals and eight assists, Yeah, Andrioff is just chilling with... I mean, he's played a lot less games, but... I mean, he's played a lot less games, so, like, why? <laughs> why is he still around is my thing. From this season it's, and, like, last season and, see, like, forever, why is he still here? It's strange. I mean, I haven't paid, like, us not being in it for the last couple of months, at least not closely, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to when Andy Andrioff is in games, is he doing something defensively that just makes Daryl Sutter trust him so much more than than even, like... Even not even necessarily more than Setaguchi, although partly that. But then on the from Dean Lombardi's perspective, not wanting to call up some of the guys who performed really well, like Brodzinski has you know come along really well since he's been playing mm-hmm. with Ontario. Why hasn't he got a call, gotten a call up or something like that? Like what is so amazing about some of the like fourth line grinder types who aren't scoring, <laughs> but for some reason get to stay in the NHL when other guys get sent down. Yeah, there there must be something with his game that I just do not see and do not understand, um, or some sort of secret hidden potential that is amazing, but i just baffled that he's still around. Yeah, I think that's one that I just want to ask, because I feel like that's mostly a Daryl Sutter thing, right? Because the thing about it is, like, Dean Lombardi can put as many people, new people on the roster to try to have them shift around as he wants to, but unless Daryl Sutter's going to play him, it's kind of pointless. So, like, why were, like, when they were looking at the piece of paper, what made Daryl Sutter be like, gotta keep Andrea off, but yeah, you can send Setaguchi down. Like, that's (laughs) super strange to me. 
in terms of strategy, but I don't know. For some reason, Daryl Sutter trusts guys like that, maybe just because they've played longer, so he feels like they've earned a certain amount of it. But I, that just wouldn't be the way I approach things. Andy Andreoff would not be someone who got to keep a roster spot. Yeah, there's a couple of people that in the past we've been like, uh, you know, we don't love that they're around or we don't get that they're around. I think it's it's defenseman a lot. It's just like, oh, well, he's a stay-at-home and the Kings really like that and, you know, whatever. I, I can see the appeal. I can see why he's whatever player is still there. But with Andrioff, I'm just kind of like, I... I don't get it. I just, I just, I just want to ask them. I'm just like, so straight up, like, what is it about him that yeah. wants, like, makes you guys want to keep him around? I, I mean, I don't think he's like useless or anything, but you know, he's not being played a lot, and he's not performing a bunch when he plays. His like his most the two assists were just like at the end of January or something. It was like fairly recent, so there was a long while where he nothing was happening. It's strange. I definitely think this is a situation where it was more... I mean, because Setaguchi earned a roster spot basically by outplaying other people in camp, and so he was looked upon to add some secondary scoring. So now it's like, even though he hasn't played poorly, he also hasn't produced the points that they were hoping for, so he gets sent down. Which is fine, theoretically, but yeah, like when you look at some of the other players, it's like, alright, why don't you move one of these other people <laughs> and just like you know, try to give Setaguchi some more time or put him with other players a little more consistently. Who knows? But that's not the case. Um, and we may never know because Andrioff is here forever and everyone else is sent <laughs> right. down to the AHL. So we may never know. Right. True. Um, an interesting tidbit, Elliot Tiefer tweeted, uh, just noting that Devin Setaguchi was making $575,000 while with the Kings, but his minor league salary is $45,000. That is quite a drop. <laughs> that is a significant drop. Yeah, I hope he um, was saving his pennies. <laughs> somehow I doubt it. I don't know, maybe he's fiscally responsible, who knows. But um, to go from, yeah, from half a million down to 45000 like, you know, normal people salary. <laughs> right, right. Quite a change all of a sudden. Except he has to be, like, now really skilled and, like, pay for a lot of his stuff and, you know, get thrown right, into boards yeah. for, you know, $45,000. All right. <laughs> that seems so wild to me. But I know. All right. <laughs> um, also, just talking more about, in general, the players and, like, guys that the Kings have sent down. So the fourth period, um, Dave Pignona, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but that guy, uh, tweeted just... King Summer Recap, Trotman waved, Purcell waved, Gilbert waved, Setaguchi waved, Latta waved slash traded, Zatkoff is 2-7-1, and one, and Campbell has played 20 minutes. I quote tweeted this, just noting, like, I don't know, I feel like obviously this is just like a tweet with sort of the facts of what happened to these guys, but in this way that sort of implied that the King Summer was a bust or something and they made bad decisions, but the Kings don't have a lot of cash, A, eh? and so they took a lot of low-risk contracts on in hopes that maybe some of them would stick. I don't think it's really that much of an indictment on the Kings if it didn't work out. It's not like they threw a ton of money <laughs> at anybody. No, ex exactly. Like, the way it's laid out, it's like, oh, look at all the, the the assets the Kings acquired and look at how they failed. Oh, like, how terrible. But no one was supposed to be, like, the missing piece. Right, yeah. No one was supposed to, like, hold the team together or be, like... People were just given chances or, like, 
kind of like throw it at the wall and see if it sticks sort of deal. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, <laughs> I always thought of it like it's not like you went into a department store and like bought some like high end item and it doesn't work out and you're like, crap. It's like, no, we went to the thrift store and uh, picked a bunch of stuff off this rack to see if <laughs> right. maybe it worked and it didn't. So we got rid of them, and it's fine. It's like no dirt uh, off our shoulders. Right, exactly. And a lot of them were just kind of brought in to fill out the depth because the kings are lacking it recently, too. Like Trotman, nobody ever really expected him to be on the NHL roster. Probably the same for even Latta, even though he had just been on the Capitals. He was sort of an extra if the Kings needed it. And unfortunately for him, none of the guys who went down this season were like fourth, third, fourth line grinder types. The only one I think that's probably an actual disappointment is maybe Zatkoff, but he yeah. also got injured early in the season, and who knows how much that sort of threw off his rhythm or, you know, if things could have been different. But that is, of all that list of people, that is the only one where I'm like, well, that was an unfortunate pick. Yeah, but, that, that okay. could have been better, but uh, the Kings really seem to like Zatkoff. So, right, right. you know, <laughs> keep giving him chances. Um, so yeah, that's the only real like disappointment. And even then, uh, yeah, I was going to say even then, not that much, but it kind of really is. I think it's just being, uh, soothed by the fact that Peter Budai has been, you know, pretty darn good for the Kings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zakoff has definitely not lived up to what we needed him to be. I do think an interesting thing there, though, is what will happen after this season. Like, when Jonathan Quick comes back and they still are going to need a backup goalie, does that mean that Peter Budai, who had been in the AHL, will become the Kings' permanent backup? Like, that is an interesting thing to consider for me. Right. During this time, did he just leapfrog and get himself, like, the secondary spot? Right, right. Very possibly. it would be totally fair, but it'll be... It'll be interesting to see what happens there because I feel like that is a storyline that has kind of come up that was not supposed to. Like, Peter Budai was not supposed to have to play in the NHL for the Kings. Um, And it would have just been Quick and Zatkoff, presumably. But because of circumstances, it's like, oh, maybe we should think about that. (laughs) What's happening here? (laughs) We've gotten Um, a new information. Uh, Maybe we should take a look at this again. Right, right, exactly. I bring this up, too, because now with the trade deadline coming, people are like, what are the Kings going to do? Are they going to be buyers, sellers, blah, 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 blah. I don't want them to make any splashy moves still is kind of my stance. I think their approach of last season going for the Chris Versteeg type and seeing if that worked was a good strategy and they should try it again. And hopefully they find a player that Daryl Sutter likes yeah. a little more um, seemed to be the flaw there. But I think, you know, fundamentally on the part of the GM, like, that was not a bad way to approach things. It's not bad to have spent your summer also picking up pieces and seeing if anything came of it. Yeah, I'm fine with the uh, thrift stop, uh, thrift shop finds uh, during right, the yeah. deadline, whatever. People don't want, maybe we'll pick up and maybe it'll work. I don't need another Jeff Carter or Marion Gabrick or anything crazy. Um, just the little things. And, and I think and I hope that that's what the Kings do. And that it isn't just, like, a total fire sale all of a sudden. Like, who knows? A little bit of fun news, because there actually was a player who did get called up. Paul Ledoux got called up, made his NHL debut on Tuesday against Tampa Bay Lightning. Unfortunately for him, and also his, I think, dad who was there to watch him, the Kings lost 5-0. 
so rough. Yeah, but not so much. He played. Great time. At least that's uh, kind of low pressure. Like it's not like any of the other kings did well. So right, yeah. You know, he wasn't <laughs> expected to score like a goal on his first game or anything like that, or or an assist or do anything, because none of the veteran NHL players did any of that either. So, but I'm glad he got to play. You know, and then luckily for him, the Kings sort of got it together in the next game against the Panthers, and they won 6-3, and he got his first NHL point. So congratulations to Paul Ledoux. Welcome to the NHL. Weird introduction, but it's better now. <laughs> cool. Paul, just just forget about the Tampa game. Like, you know, just be like, yeah, my first game was absolutely against the Panthers, where I got an assist. <laughs> right? <laughs> just straight lie about it. Yeah, it's just cool. lie about it. You're fine. <laughs> Oh, man. The thing about that Tampa game, too, is, like, Tampa has been weirdly bad. And so it was like, oh, great. (laughs) Thanks for letting them have this, like, amazing rebound night out of nowhere when they haven't been able to string together a dominant game in so long. And then that's why I was afraid. I was like, oh, no, are they going to, like, fail against the Panthers, too? But no, they were okay. (laughs) They did, however, technically match that streak from earlier in the season where they got shut out three games in a row. Yeah. In re- but it was like the caveat is in regulation this time because they actually won the game against Philadelphia in overtime. Yeah. Um, but I was like, impressive work by the Los Angeles Kings to do this twice in one season. I feel like we might have said during that time, that was unfortunate. We don't think it'll happen again. <laughs> I like kind of want to go back and listen because I, I'm I'm fairly sure we were trying to be optimistic and be like, well, that was a weird blip. Uh, you know, everyone's still you know getting their uh, their feet together. Um, it probably won't happen again. And here we are, February. But it did. You know, they just continue to surprise me in so many ways. So many ways. Uh, but luckily, they did not actually go for the record again, so they they still fell short in one way. But there's still time. We'll see what happens <laughs> later on this season. We got a lot more games to play. <laughs> but to go back to the OT win for a second, because they keep doing things like winning in overtime, I noticed that Sports Illustrated published a piece that was trying to break down why that is, um, and they reminded everyone in the piece. Like, when the Kings missed the playoffs, remember, we all pretty much concluded it was because their overtime and shootout record was so unlucky and bad. But since then, like, the next season when 3-on-3 was implemented, all of a sudden the Kings have won in overtime more than any other team in the NHL since that change. Um, Which is fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to go from being super unlucky to, oh, great, now we're dominating again. Right. Um, and, and so they try to break that down. One of the key things is actually not surprising in that the Kings, the way that they consistently do at games, half possession, is they just maintain that in overtime. Good way to not get scored on is to never let other people have the puck, it yep. turns out. What's up, possession? <laughs> right. So they had a pretty dominant, I think, 50-something percent, or it was like 53-something percent last season, and it has become ridiculous this season. They have had 67.86% course before this season in three-on-three overtime. Um, unsurprisingly to anybody who has watched the overtime goals, Carter, Pearson, and Martinez have the bulk of those tallies. And in the one overtime loss that the Kings have had this season, none of those players were on 
the ice. Um, and I, I will try to remember to link this piece too and when we post this because I think people should look like they have a couple of breakdowns of different ways the Kings have scored and it's, you know, visuals are always fun. But other than pointing out that the Kings just take more shots and they happen to be going in unlike during regulation time for whatever reason. I know. Um, there doesn't seem to be a set formula to why. So I was trying to think, like, I don't know, is there anything about maybe that collection of players who seems to score a lot or anything that stands out to you, maybe? you have some theories? Uh, well, with Carter, he's just good. You know, yeah. maybe this, in overtime, it gives him more space on the ice, um, and he can use his speed to kind of outskate people without worrying about someone else being, you know, around to stop him. Um, I think maybe he uses that to his advantage. Uh, and that's why I think he does well in overtime. He just can stick handle well. He's fast. He can get around everyone. Um, like when given more space, he can do it's more space for him to do things. You know, like he, he can shoot from so many places and score that uh, if you give him more open ice, he'll, he'll make something happen. Uh, with Pearson and Martinez, though, I don't know. Pearson has been having a, a really good season, and I don't know if that's just he's trending upwards or if there's something in particular that's that's making him score overtime goals. Um, yeah, he does. It's I feel weird calling it a bounce back year, but in a lot of ways it does feel yeah. like a bounce back year from the previous season. I think, too, possibly in something like overtime, speed actually contributes maybe to all of those guys. Like, Martinez is a mobile defenseman, and Pearson is fast, and he's also used to playing with Carter. So I think there could be just a combination of they're all some of the faster players. So one thing that the Kings always do well is positioning. Like, when they're on their game, like, positioning and setting up and coming out of their zone the right way is important. Um, The piece noted that they don't necessarily score off the rush at an you know, uh, in a way that stands out necessarily. So it's like a good combination of goals coming up from great positioning and like the half court offense and also some rush goals. So yeah, I think it's just maybe those people, because they're fast enough to keep up with each other, they can kind of read each other really well and score in situations that maybe require both good placement and um, uh, the quickness to do it um, because also they're sometimes out there with like Toffoli or Kopitar is out there with them too so it's I think it is like the perfect combination of or it could be like the perfect combination of like these are really smart players and also they all happen to be players who can move when they need to right that's I think that's definitely it like it's the more mobile players who can take advantage of the space that they're given to get in good good positions, which the Kings are good at, and actually make something happen. Um, So yeah, maybe that's it. Obviously, we would rather this happen during regulation, but at least it's working in overtime and and that the Kings aren't so damn unlucky this year. Yeah, it does make me wonder, though. I mean, I don't think we'll see it happen quickly, but I do think if it's, or I wonder if it's a, a... it makes me kind of wish the Kings would get faster sooner <laughs> as a team. Yeah. Because if they are, like, if it is, like, a combination of the system is so great at encouraging guys to position themselves well, plus so adding some speed, like, can help put these players on another level, I kind of want to see what happens in regulation if more guys on the team can do that. Um, and not that you're, like, you're not going to have four lines of people who score like Jeff Carter. It's just not going to happen. But... You know, if you if they figure out how to find some faster players who can score a little bit more than guys who've been around 
as long as they have. Um, it could mean interesting things for the Kings. It at least makes me want to see what happens. So maybe that's what we want from the trade deadline. Yeah. Just some interesting fast players to maybe amp up the uh, regulation game a little bit. And I'm, I, again, like, even if that, I don't even necessarily know if it's I want them to trade four guys who can do that or maybe figure out a way to trade away one or two guys who aren't living up to that and give an opportunity for maybe younger players to come in who possibly are faster. Um, I don't know. I would like to see some combination to help encourage the Kings to speed up a little bit, basically. So in that sense, I take it back. Andy Andreoff is an amazing player. <laughs> right, yeah. Someone should, the Kings should trade him. for Swoop him else. up as quickly as possible. Make a yeah, deal now. Because I think his time is now slash very soon. So someone else should come sweep him up and give the Kings um, a fast, maybe slight underachiever. <laughs> right, right. And have him break out for you. You just never know. Yeah. You just never know. I mean, I know that the Avalanche are, like, doing a lot of talks. They got some fast guys on there. Mm-hmm. We'll take one of them. <laughs> I've seen, like, people talk about how, like, Landeskog would be a great fit on the Kings. They can't afford him, but can you imagine <laughs> if somehow Gabriel Landeskog <laughs> ended up on the Kings? It would be, like, the Jeff Carter 2.0 type of trade. It, down to yeah. the blondness. <laughs> uh that'd be great you know it's just a straight landiscog for andrea <laughs> i mean colorado call, has right? to be pretty desperate at this point i know maybe andrea is their missing piece <laughs> start your rebuild with andy yeah. seems logical to me <laughs> at this point i think andy lasner might be better <laughs> oh that's, that's a lot <laughs> Andy Andreoff, I like you. You're fine. Except please stop being on the king. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will segue a little bit. Well, not really. Anyway, I'll just say that unlike a lot of people, I was someone who went from having, like, I can't even say I was a cord cutter. I just never had cable. But now, a random series of events, I do have basic cable. So that means I can do things like watch Kings Weekly when it airs instead of waiting for them to break up the segments. Um, so I did that for the first time, and they had this one segment about the LA Lions, which is the uh, young women's, like girls and young women's league that's sponsored by the Kings. And they went, they helped, you know, they let them have a booth and come to the game. Anyway, while they were talking about the LA Lions, um, head coach Adam O'Neill, who coaches for a 10 and under, the squirt division, had this quote describing what it's like to be around young girl hockey players. And he says, quote, but the difference is really not on the ice necessarily, but in the locker room, supporting each other, the feeling of inclusiveness, the cheerleading, the support, the camaraderie. It's so different than the boys. And I don't know why, but that was both hilarious and sad to me if only because I think like you know he meant to talk about how like the girls play really rough on the ice is what preceded that quote like the game is still fast and hard and very competitive but in the locker room like the vibe is very different and I was like that's a cool compliment like I'm glad that they support each other but I was also like what the fuck is happening in boys locker room (laughs) I know right (laughs) Jesus I'm like yeah if you're all on the same team like if you have a loss or something like don't you're just like oh that sucked like but everyone you were great uh we'll do better next time hugs all around I support you the fuck is going on with the boys team (laughs) and he again he quotes just like 10 and under so like 
what is happening with these children? Um, and aren't and aren't like young girls supposed to be like the mean girls? You know, like young women can be catty. And I'm like, well, I guess they just it's it's not that's not true. Yeah, because. I feel like we just want to support each other. Especially that age, you wouldn't think that there would be a huge, like that, quite that big of a gap in the socialization, especially among kids who play an aggressive sport, right? Like I could see if it was like, yeah, you know, boys who play sports, and then they were talking about some group of girls who weren't doing that. But no, like literally, he's like, you know, this is the LA Lions, our hockey team, young women, they play really hard, they get really aggressive. There is still hitting, like I guess at this level, but some for some reason. <laughs> When it comes to off the ice, girls super supportive and inclusive. The implication, young boys, who the hell Not knows? Hooliganing each other, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that was wild to me. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm glad it's like that for the young women. I'm glad that they spotlighted them. And that's really cool that they do sponsor uh, a young women's league and try to promote women's hockey at that level. But I was also like, what? <laughs> at that particular club. Are they like you know, giving each other swirlies or something? I don't know. I don't what, do, know. what do kids do to, like, bully each other? I'm not really sure. I don't um, know. Are they hanging someone up by, like, their, you know, pants on some hooks or something and they can't get down? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, What's happening? Yeah, I hope, I mean, I again, I assume he didn't mean to actually slight the dudes that much, or maybe he did, and, and that's where I'm like, that's kind of sad if that is true, because you want everybody to feel included and supported and have camaraderie, like, like they just go out on the ice and just get off and aren't friends, I mean, isn't it the whole reason you join something like sports at that age? <laughs> um yeah, so that was, like, an interesting moment in that segment. So I thought I would just point it out. That's pretty great. But, yeah, I do love that they're supporting a young girls team, start them young, you know, start the love of the sport and playing it young. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. They also highlight the different teams in the high school league, and they show, like, highlights from the games. People who watch Kings Weekly regularly are like, duh. <laughs> but, again, I, I never have done I cannot that. think of a time that I've ever seen Kings Weekly when it's actually aired, because I, too, do not have Kings Weekly. <laughs> yeah. Not, necess- not specifically to do with children, but actually also related to the things that the Kings get involved in when they come back from their bye week. It's the Thursday night game is Pride Night for the Kings. Um, and teams have been doing it around the league this month. So here, this is the Kings Pride Night um, to help. It's a partnership with You Can Play. Some of the ticket sales, I think, benefit You Can Play. So that'll be interesting. And of course, it coincides with the with You Can Play's announcement that they are having, or that they have chosen some players volunteered to be ambassadors for You Can Play, basically to kind of be the person to take ownership of speaking up if people in a locker room or in the organization say things that are inappropriate or offensive and just to sort of help educate peers. Um, Dustin Brown is that person for the LA Kings. He's the YCP ambassador. Um, Unsurprising. Yeah, I think what was cool was that it's really consistent for Dustin Brown. He's spoken out about this kind of stuff for the last few years here and there. One one of the first, like, commercials for uh, You Can Play, like, when they were just starting to get, you know, individual players to come and do, like, commercials for them, Dustin Brown was one of those people. Uh, Alec Martinez, I think, was one of those people yeah, as well. Yeah, it was right after they so won the it's, Cup. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super consistent. Um in his support. And so when I saw his name on the list, I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds about right. He's probably already doing that 
so for it to be official, you know, makes sense. Right, exactly. And he was, when Ben Scrivens was still on the team, TSN did that docuseries reorientation. And I remember they had, like, asked, it was when when, uh, Burke was talking about all of, they asked a bunch of people, you know, trying to help TSN get get all of that together, um, both TSN and YCP. Like, they talked to a bunch of players, would you like to be involved in this, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't get responses or were told no thank you by most of the players, except for three, I believe. And that was um, Ben Scrivens and Dustin Brown on the Kings, and Andrew Ference also made an appearance in right. that series. So I think it's really cool that Dustin Brown is always willing to speak out about this and just trying to sort of advocate for being a decent person because it's not even he's not ever said anything super revolutionary. He's just right. always like the guy who advocates for like, yeah, I will speak up. I will try to educate the guys on my team and around me because he has friends who are really close to him who he really cares about and want and need support so he's trying to do his part which is really cool and i appreciate like you said like seeing him keep at it basically it was really cool although the the list of the ambassadors was slightly marred for many people yes uh by the inclusion of the canadians ambassador being andrew shaw yeah i we talked a little bit about this on our own um yeah but we both came down on the side of that was a weird thing to choose. <laughs> Why would you go there? It just invited sort of an unnecessary controversy, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I understand that he, you know, he used uh, a slur and was reprimanded for it and was lambasted in, you know, social media and all that stuff. And while he may have learned and, you know, wants to, I don't know, change his image or show that he's, uh, like, a different person now, I don't necessarily understand why it has to be in this context. Or, like, why he has to be the official guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and why he couldn't just do that on his own, like, vocally and, you know, be a better person uh, than immediately go to being an ambassador, because I can't imagine that people would be super comfortable uh, talking to him or coming to him when his, like, transgression was so recent. Exactly. And I think that was really the crux of the criticism for a lot of people is basically being like, look, we haven't seen any actual work he's done prior to this to indicate that he is the most qualified person for this position. And you could say maybe that that might be also true for other people on the team in that they haven't been visibly about promoting um, LGBT rights or something like that. But the difference is Andrew Shaw, like, has a public, like, mark against him (laughs) for being the opposite of supportive. Um, And it's strange. They said he volunteered for it. So if that's true, like, good on him. And he answered questions about it when reporters asked. So that's, those are steps in the right direction. But yeah, I don't think that really means he's the best person to put in the leadership role. I think it would have even been cool if they had named a player and then maybe it was also mentioned that Andrew Shaw really wanted to be a part of it. So they had like co-ambassadors or something. I don't know. I just don't need to, I don't understand why he needs to be given a platform at all. Right. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I understand that watching someone who has said something change and, you know, come around 
is good, but it didn't have to be like here. It could have been, you know, throughout the season on like in a different quote, in a different snippet in something else because, you know, something's going to come up. And for him to talk about it and for people to slowly understand, like, oh, okay, you know, he's learning, he's speaking out, you know, maybe you see him in a, a slightly different light instead of, like, he is is now this, like, person. And, and we're, I mean, you and I are talking about it now. A lot of people talked about it. We're dedicating so much time to him as a person and, like, is he changed? Is he, like, a better person now instead of what he should be representing, representing which is, like, an equal playing ground for you know, everyone in hockey and about you can play and all of that. So now it just kind of ended up being about him. Right. Instead um, of the program. <laughs> instead of the program. And that like really detracts from it all. Like, cause now this is like a redeeming platform for him instead of like, oh, all of the teams in the NHL have like banded together, have an ambassador because we want to be like a more inclusive place. It's like, oh, well, this is Andrew Shaw's chance to show that he's not so bad after all. Right, exactly. And I think also, this is kind of across the board. I did appreciate John Rosen specifically trying to talk to Dustin Brown and asking why this was important to him, and he did mention his friends. But I think in general with this, I really wish that there had been some reporters who went more in depth about, like, for Andrew Shaw, like, they asked him specifically because there was a hockey-related incident that they were called back to and wanted to know if he had evolved and what his thoughts were, et cetera. But I think at the same time, like across the board, they didn't ask a whole lot of specific questions about um, what players individually hope to accomplish and what exactly the program is beyond like a title, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. Like what it means to them and, and how, like why they chose to be a part of this. Is it because, like no one else wanted to, you know, like, or is it because they have a personal, uh, like relationship to like wanting this to succeed and wanting everyone to feel welcome? I'd love to know the behind the scenes of that. Right. Exactly. And then again, like or their, mo- their motivations for it, I guess. Right. Right. And then maybe what are you, what are some things you hope to like some actionable things? Like you have a pride night. Does that mean these guys are at all in charge of helping to organize that anyway, expand it in any way? Like what, what are you doing other than saying, I'm in the ambassador, I'm ambassador for this program, yeah. <laughs> which thanks for doing something visible. But I would also hope that whatever you're doing that's visible is substantive. And I feel like we still haven't really gotten any clarification on player involvement beyond these are some guys on a list kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so I would love to see a little bit more about that. And then again, I feel like talking about that would help to center the program and what it hopes to accomplish for people who really want to feel supported for um, gay, lesbian, transgender people who like really would love for the NHL to take a step forward. I think it's also an interesting tidbit that has been mentioned in places, but it's good to remember like of the major sports in the U.S., there still hasn't been an out current or retired NHL player. Um, And so I would love to see them continue to have things that really help make it seem like an environment in which it truly is safe for somebody to speak out like that. Um, And so far we have the name of a program and some dudes who are part of it, but we don't, we still don't have the next step of like, what is this? What is it going to do? How are these guys going to help make whatever that goal is happen? The NHL is taking the babiest of steps (laughs) right right now. It seems to just be publicity and seeing 
putting feelers out. Like, right, yeah, whether right. there's an actual program in place, whether there's actual goals that they want to achieve beyond awareness. Um, it remains to be seen. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I'm glad that they are trying something. I do hope it ends up being something that continues to be visible and has a real measurable impact in some way. Um, but we'll see. I guess Pride Nights are kind of the first step of it. I mean, they chose to roll it now, out now for a reason. Um, so we'll see. I just thought that was interesting. Um, but I did like, again, that Dustin Brown has been consistent for the Kings. And I do at least trust that if they do need these guys to take action in certain ways that Dustin Brown will carry that through. <laughs> yeah. I trust him. <laughs> I do. I do trust. Uh, I was going to say our captain. That's not true. Oh, um, oh no. Our YCP captain. Oh, he, I know. <laughs> he is still the captain in my heart. I guess this is not the best segue, but in terms of people who have lost their job and title, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, well, technically, Dustin Brown still has a job, but uh, earlier this week, he was fired as the Bruins' head coach, um, and it was interesting timing, too, because at the time of the firing, the Bruins were only one point back from the wild card, fourth in the Atlantic, and they were actually tied with Toronto in standings points, but they had played more games. So I was like, oh, to fire him now... But why? <laughs> what a time to do it in the middle of the season. Yeah, because I, I kind of assumed that, you know, maybe his time was done, but it would just happen at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But no, here, here we are. Yeah, it wasn't even like when we, you know, we talked about a little bit last podcast about like the Blues who have been struggling a lot. The Bruins have been struggling, but it, you know, just looking at the standings, they haven't really struggled more than the yeah. Kings. They were still in the picture, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not that bad. Um I enjoyed kind of, like, the memes that came out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whoever had that, like, Sean Spicer, um, like, Sweeney's doing everything right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Style. <laughs> right. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> nice. That sounds about right. Um, I did look around. I had a thought, and then somebody actually wrote an article, because apparently I don't do that anymore. But luckily, somebody else wrote about this and investigated it a little bit, because I was like, well, it seems like, coaches get fired a lot mid-season in the NHL and if if the Bruins aren't necessarily going to make major changes in the middle of the season which most teams do not um, except for maybe acquiring a player but in recent years you don't see a lot of huge trade deadline acquisitions like that Um, at least not enough to change the complexion of the entire team right? right so I was like probably this is a like, they are on the cusp of the playoffs. Is this a move to try to, like, juice the team to be like, oh, we have to really tighten it up and play better to get them into the picture? Um, and it did seem like right after they were scoring a little bit more and people were like, I don't know, maybe they feel freer with the coaches. But I don't know. I'm like, this is probably a tactic to do it right now. Um, remains to be seen, but nuts and bolts sports, there was a piece posted there that mentioned – that since the start of the 2013-14 season, or 15 coaches have lost their job midseason, um, which seems crazy. Yeah, that's quite a few <laughs> coaches that have lost at midseason. Uh, and while it has led to a standings bump, like directly after, 
that doesn't necessarily like it didn't necessarily maintain right for the rest of the season it was just like a a band-aid and it patched it for a second looked like that that was a good move to make because they were winning um and then it kind of petered out for most of them yeah so that was the interesting thing is it does it did kind of seem to corroborate my theory that oh this is a strategy to get the Bruins into the playoffs but I feel like the weird thing with some of these teams who have done it is that you, if you still mostly have the same team, you might get into the playoffs, but are you going to be able to make a deep run? I don't think that's necessarily true for <laughs> the Bruins, so it's like an interesting choice to do this right now if it was just like, all right, let's shake something up. It worked for the Penguins, who oh, yeah. they didn't actually get a huge points bump. They came almost even, I think, after um, firing Johnston in terms of like points that they got under him versus uh, Sullivan, right? But then they won the Stanley Cup, so it made it seem like a genius move. But that's not true of everybody. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, in the short term, it can't give you a bump, but unless you then go on to win the Stanley Cup like the Penguins did, is it really worth it? Because then it's like, all right, well, it's summertime. i got to find a new coach, and also my team's still kind of, nah. (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) You know, if the talent isn't there, it's not going to solve all your problems. That's true. Uh, Yeah, so, but, I mean, sometimes... People just want to say, like, oh, they made it to the playoffs and, like, that's kind of all they need out of that change. Yeah. Just to say that they made it to the postseason, (laughs) whether, you know, they actually do or not. I mean, it worked for the Kings. Yeah, but I would also argue with the Kings is that they, like they often do, and, like, you know, in the seasons since then, when they then went on to win a second cup, that 2011-12 season, all of their underlying stats are really good. So once... They didn't even really get that much of a bump, right? <laughs> because they no, still sneaked into the playoffs. <laughs> they still oh, it was all it was all sneaky. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, midseason coach change, and here's your Stanley Cup. Right, right, right. You're right. The underlying was fine. <laughs> they just needed something slightly different. All of the pieces were there. It just they weren't being played correctly. Yeah, um, or being played to their strengths. So, uh, and for some of these teams, the coaching change isn't really gonna help them that much because the coach, the new coaches don't have anything to play. Right, exactly. And so, like, in the case of the Kings, it made them look like geniuses because, and, you know, they brought in a really good defensive coach, even though, like, when they, both the times they've won the Stanley Cup, it's not just that they've had good defense. It's like the, all of a sudden during those months they got lucky enough to score all the time and not get shut out three times in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> but still, because... They changed coaches and went on to win a Stanley Cup and made it look like a genius move. Um, and this, like this number, this fifteen coaches fired number, doesn't even include the Kings because that happened before. Yeah, that was too early. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, and like the Penguins, it made them look like geniuses. But yeah, for a lot of people, it's sort of a bump. But unless you can sustain it with making good decisions through the off season, probably it's not going to do a whole lot for you <laughs> to fire your coach in the middle of the year. So it's interesting that teams seem to be doing it more and more. I don't know. Maybe they think some, like, miracle's going to happen or it's going to be, like, just enough to get them in there. But, yeah, that's an interesting kind of trend, I guess, that's happening because it seems to be happening more than it has in the past. Although, I guess, like, don't quote me on that one. I'm not entirely sure how often it's been going on or, like, how frequently it's yeah. been going on. I mean, in, like, like before, before the 2013-2014 season. Right, exactly. I mean, at least the last two seasons, it has felt like this season, I'm like, oh, somebody else is fired. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has been nonstop. <laughs> it, yeah, it's wild. Um, you get no time to make things work in the NHL these days, apparently. 
Stanley Cup first season or your first season. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting thing. It made me think about that with the Bruins because it also did make me think back to the Kings, even though it happened before. And I was like, what an interesting choice. And I wonder if if because of the couple of times it has worked out really well, people were like, well, I'll try it too. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, that could possibly be it without looking at, like, you know, anything else like any other part of the team just the the coach change and then suddenly it's a winner it's like not 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 so much. <laughs> oh man so that's the nhl making messy decisions i don't really know what the bruins are up to but a team who is doing really well the washington washington capitals doing really well they went feeling great into their bye week um which overlaps with the kings a lot I would like to end this podcast talking about some happy stuff from them, since they always seem to be getting into fun things. A story from today yeah. that was going around is Andre Burkowski decided to go to Top Golf, something that we that that I experienced recently and then like told you about because I was terrible at golf. It turned out. Yeah. Um. Anyway, he tried to go do that, and got into the wrong car, <laughs> a stranger's car, because he thought it was his u- the Uber that he had ordered. It was not. It was some random dudes. And they decided to take him where he needed to go anyway, <laughs> because why not? He's got a cute face. They were hospitable drivers, and they, like, he convinced them enough. Like, I can just imagine him, like, showing them his, like, page on NHL.com. Like, this is me. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm injured Washington Capitals player. Uh, Andre, like, can like, sorry, I didn't mean to just barge into your car. But I love that they're like, all right, cool, and then drove him anyway. Yeah, that's lovely. He he got lucky that they were Caps fans <laughs> because had they been people who did not watch hockey, they would have been like, what is this dude doing in my car? <laughs> like, get the fuck out of my car, man. <laughs> um, I do have a question for you, which is that if a random hockey player got into your car, who would surprise you the most? Like, I feel like if there are some people that got in my car, I'd be like, oh, wow, but I could, like, handle it. Who would be someone that you'd be like, I can't believe this is happening? If Tyler Toffoli got into my car and needed a ride to, like, Sprinkles or something. Oh, my God. The most adorable. I don't know. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, I'd drive him there, absolutely. But it would just be a very strange... Right, yeah. I was doing something. It would just be very bizarre. (laughs) But then Tafoli was like, I need a cupcake stat. And you were like, I understand. Let's make it happen. Or like if Trevor Lewis walked into my car, and then all I want to ask him is like, have you seen this video? If Trevor Lewis got into your car and Taylor Swift happened to be on the radio, not even necessarily that song, <laughs> but just just a Taylor Swift song, that would be amazing. Oh my gosh! No, I would die if Phil Kessel got into my car. Yeah, that would be pretty wild. What about you? Who would you? Who would surprise oh, you? Oh man! Now that you've said you Phil Kessel, I just have to strongly agree with that. <laughs> um, that's super good. I feel like one that would. A non-Kings one that would get me is, um, okay, I'm going to say P.K. Subban, um, both Uh because I would be so excited and, like, I have to do my best to be really funny and witty right now to impress this person who I think is just amazing and has a wonderful personality. So that would be a lot for me because it's like I have to also remember 
how to drive because obviously I'd be like, I'll drive you anywhere. It's fine. Um, but then I would also But feel, also have like a sparkling personality. Right, yeah, this enormous <laughs> pressure <laughs> to be a memorable person. Um, that one would be really tough for me. Uh, let's see. Um, on the Kings, it would, of course, be Jonathan Quick. That would be the most difficult for me only because I... All the types of things I want to say to Jonathan Quick are not necessarily things that you say to a stranger. <laughs> They're like jokes I make to my friends. <laughs> so I'm I'm running through them in my head right so, now, <laughs> like of like the various things that you would possibly blur. Yeah. Out so the challenge would be remembering to speak like a human being without. Well, constantly remembering that he's not in on the inside jokes that I have that are semi-related to him, <laughs> that would be the challenge. Um, yeah. Also, I would love to drive Sean Monahan somewhere, me and too. I would not want to talk. I would just want. I'd be like, just tell me about anything. Just talk about anything, <laughs> and I would love to hear how you describe it. Every all of his friends, when I've read like interviews and stuff, like including Tyler Toffoli, has said that he's actually very funny in a dry way so i would like to see if that is true and i feel like a driving situation is actually the perfect setting for something like that um because then people have small talk and the funny ones you just realize who's funny as you talk to strangers absolutely yeah okay so that would be definitely sean monahan and phil kessel are like the two that i would want separately oh my gosh together (laughs) that would be also hilarious but (laughs) oh man like, the combination of, like, people who I think are really talented, but also who I think would be fun in that situation. Yeah. Like, I think my favorite thing about the Burkowski story is, like, he is already such... Like, if you ever look at his social media or look at the kinds of stories that um, Russian Machine Ever Breaks posts about him, because they constantly post about their players, the Caps players on social media and stuff... Andre Burakovsky is already such an adorable human being who seems just <laughs> really fun loving. So like to have like only he could have that type of encounter, like him and, and OV probably. Um, and just be that like natural with it. The dude, his him and his the guy who ended up driving him exchanged text messages and Burakovsky texted him, like, you're famous now, because the story went viral. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What a touch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they can get away with it. Like, if Phil Kessel were to walk into, like, the wrong person's car thinking it was his Uber, he'd probably dash out and then just, like, walk, like, ten blocks in the other direction <laughs> right. just to, like, get away from it. <laughs> yeah. It would be a fun so, story. Like, <laughs> so it would be, like, this person being like, Phil Kessel walked into my car and then immediately walked out and started speed walking down the street. <laughs> Um, don't know why. Like, we wouldn't know the story because it wouldn't be, like, a fun thing. Like, oh, I thought you were in my Uber. And, like, the person was like, oh, let me drive you wherever you need to go. It would just be, like, mortification. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Just, like, a mad dash down the street. Or, like, into a parking garage or something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, like, and I t- was trying to think of it in, like, the reverse way. If I accidentally got into somebody else's car, I would be just mortified. I'd be like, don't look at me. I'm so sorry. I gotta go now. (laughs) Oh, I'm describing Phil Kessel because that's what I would (laughs) do. Like, in this this instance, like, that experience that I'm describing that Phil Kessel would do is me. And what I would do is like, oh, I am so sorry. And then I would just, like, run. Yeah, all of a sudden. What door can I walk into? I actually just want to jog to my destination. I don't need a car anymore. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so at, at least, you know, Murkowski made it a fun time. It was a cool story. Everybody liked it. I thought it was cute. That was really cute. The Capitals do cute things. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed is that um, a little while ago, Peter Bondra went to Abu Dhabi as part of, like, Hockey is for Everyone, like, ran across this amazing player and, like, uh, tweeted out her sweet stick skills, uh, Fatima Al-Ali, who is on the UAE Nationals team. And she was talking about how she's a huge Cavs fan and, like, loves Ovi. And so she finally got to come over and, you know, watch a game that the Capitals won and do a puck drop and, you know, take slappers from Ovi. Like, that was, like, such a cool story. Yeah. Um, to see, and she took an adorable selfie, uh, and, like, the reaction of her meeting, you know, a hockey hero was fantastic, and kind of going along with the whole, uh, LA Lions things, and, and liking to see young girls play hockey, this is another thing, like, seeing someone play hockey in a place that you don't necessarily think of when you think of hockey, like, when I think United Arab Emirates, I do not think uh, the women's national team is awesome. You know, like, it's so... That was just, like, a really cool, uh, like, inclusive thing to see how wide-reaching it is. And, like, that... Re- like, in, in that sense, like, you know, we, we talk about Pride Night being, you know, we don't see a lot of actionable things, but with this being part of the whole Hockey is for Everyone month, like, that really does kind of highlight that to, like, they, you know, they brought her over and gave her this great experience and, you know, she got to interact with all these people. That was that was really fantastic. Yeah, I thought that was a lot of a lot of fun. And I, I actually like, you know, what you said about not thinking of the hockey team when you first think of that place, because I think even even not necessarily more, but just as big and as cool as it was to see her come to the NHL and get to hang out with the players and experience a little bit of what that world is like. I think it's really cool for people like us to be like, oh, maybe I should read more about what's going on here. I think the exposure kind of goes both ways. Um, yeah. Where we get to learn something that maybe we hadn't paid a lot of attention to and are incentivized to check it out a little bit more. But also it does literally bring somebody who kind of represents that that's happening where she's from uh, and putting it in front of people who might not necessarily um see her otherwise or and also kids who you know maybe are from that background it's like oh somebody who you know is like me representation is always cool people want to see themselves reflected in others um right absolutely which is another reason that we were talking about like the whole there hasn't been a current or retired nhl player who has been out um so you don't see you know if someone wants to play they don't necessarily see that in the current makeup. Right. And that's kind of rough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so this is nice. Yeah. Like, I was always, I was amped when, like, Mulan came out because I was like, dude, it's a Disney princess. That's Asian. <laughs> right. not, exactly. It's not the right Asian, but I was like, you know, close enough. Right, right, right. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll bask in this one, too. <laughs> oh, man. That's, I mean, the Princess and the Frog came out when I was you know, already much older. But even that, like, was still cool. I, none of my family is from, like, New Orleans, so I can't relate to the, that specificity. But I was like, whatever, she's black, it's dope. <laughs> it's yeah, cool. exactly. I was like, I don't have any of that uh, history, but she's, like, for the longest time, I was like, Snow White has black hair, and that was as close as I could get. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> a dark hair princess. Yes. That's all. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so yeah, always love more diversity and inclusiveness. Um, and it was really cool to see her come over here and have a good time and be welcomed by the Caps players and the NHL for for that time. So Yeah, and like people always talk about California being like a weird alternative market for uh, hockey because, you know, it's sunshine all the time. Uh, here's an even more alternative market where it could very well be successful and, you know, we can see something cool happening. Yeah in that area so i dig it love that i'm also just excited because you do hope that like more and more exposure means more and more talent gets into the game and so then when we watch international tournaments and stuff like that um we'll see you know the fruits of all of this like seed planting basically (laughs) yeah (laughs) one day (laughs) um yeah so it's cool thought it would be fun to end on a couple of light cool stories thanks to the capitals for uh having those things happen to them (laughs) yeah seriously when when washington dc isn't the happiest place currently it's nice that the capitals are picking up the slack with uh fun heartwarming things yeah it's cool i like it while the actual government is like an episode of scandal um (laughs) at least we have these things (laughs) to, to make us happy um, all right, uh, we've gone pretty much an hour, so I think we will cut it off here for now, and then we will talk to you guys more next week. Are there any other sort of parting thoughts you have, Diane, before we get out of here? No, I'm ready for the Kings to be back from their bye and to see more games, and yeah, let's do this. Yeah. It's, it's, getting, it's getting closer to the end, so um, I'm getting more pessimistic. <laughs> oh, no. With- <laughs> You know, with with like every like bad news, or like with every loss or something like that, I'm like, oh, I, I don't have that optimism in me right now. So, hoping the Kings, uh, you know, do better. You know, I will still continue to be excited. One thing that is fun for me is the continuing. Sidney Crosby, Jeff Carter, goal scoring. Oh, yes. Okay. So I am super amped about that one because Jeff Carter is like one goal behind, and I'm like, I want him to surpass it so bad. Um, What would be ideal for me is if Jeff Carter somehow has more goals than Sidney Crosby, but Sidney Crosby still has more points than everybody. Um, I mean, like, him and Connor McDavid have been kind of neck and neck. Um, but I super resented more last season than this season when Connor McDavid came into the league and everybody was like, Sidney Crosby is basically dead. Connor McDavid is going <laughs> to bury him, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so I just need old, decrepit Sidney Crosby, <laughs> to rise up from the grave and with his, like, decaying bones, still somehow have the most points in the NHL. Just to prove that he can once do again, it. <laughs> once again, it's the narrative of you've got to pay your dues. Please. Like, you can't just go in here and be like, I'm the fucking best. <laughs> like, I mean, but that one is, like, even, actually, even less about Connor McDavid. It's literally just... It's, it's more about everyone else. Yeah, it's more about people being, like, City Crosby Crosby is so fucking old. He is going to be bad tomorrow, is how everybody immediately started treating it. And I just I just need him to show that he is the best for as long as possible to spite them. <laughs> I hope it's just old guys that lead in points, assists, and <laughs> yeah. goals. And, like, obviously, I mean, like, quote-unquote old guys. Right, exactly. Um, 
but like the the, the older generation. Uh, so yeah, if Jeff Carter could just score more goals, which I can't imagine why he wouldn't, uh, with go. the way he's doing things, and surpass Sidney Crosby, that'd be great. And if Sidney Crosby could just be helpful, so just get assists, yeah. then that would be fine Wonderful. and get more points. I mean, uh, I would, I would, I need that. it. Like that's the crazy. Like yeah, partly too is like I'm all in my feelings because like Sidney Crosby is literally <laughs> ten days older than me, and I'm like, well, if he's dead, then my time is coming. <laughs> so. <laughs> We have to prove that we're still alive, Sydney. I need you to help me out here. So you're feeling a real kid, Sydney uh, <laughs> Crosby, right now. My humanity, my youth, is tied. It, it depends <laughs> to Sydney Crosby leading yep. NHL scoring, <laughs> um, and Jeff Carter too, who's older, you know, even older than that, but not by much. So if these two old people can just make it happen, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I, I would. Very much appreciate that too. <laughs> They're all older than me, but uh, I like just had my birthday, so I'm just like, oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, happy birthday. And thank you. Um, that doesn't that mean that Mike Richards also had his birthday soon? Shout out. To- <laughs> <laughs> it does. <'cause laughs> or just had it. I think it's a it's a day after mine. I think or two days after mine. Um. So yes, happy birthday to. Michael Richards as well. <laughs> I hope your day was full of fish. Yeah. Um, he's already in his grave, actually. He, yeah. unlike Jeff Carter and Cindy Crosby, did not survive the wave of young people coming for him who apparently murdered oh. him and put him in the ground. So that's rough. But the Viking one, funeral. The ones who are still alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> and not Sentinel yet on fire. On fire. Yeah. Please help us out. <laughs> Um, all right, guys, as usual, be good to each other. Take care of yourselves. Um, oh, I forgot to say you know where to find us. We're mostly on Twitter. Let's be honest. We haven't been writing really, but you can find us on Twitter. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, friends. Bye, everyone. <laughs>